time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode number 220, Best Cars Nobody Buys. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me in looking at the worthy but seemingly unloved new cars in the Aussie market are key contributing journalist, Mr. David Morley. G'day. As well as our fearless leader, editor Mal Flynn. G'day, everybody. We'll also look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, you can jump ahead um, to each of the different vehicles that we're talking about in each section of the show via the time codes in the notes or chapter markers in the timeline. So let's get to it. Look, is it, is it awareness? Is it price? Is it brand reputation? Or in these semiconductor-constrained times, is it partially supply? Uh, for whatever reason, these cars aren't selling as well as we think they should be. Um, each of us is going to nominate two models or even brands uh, we believe should be more popular, and we'll take a look at why they're not. So, Dave, it's time to put cards on the table. Can we kick it off with you, please? Uh, your, your first entry for the unloved cars. The first one that surprises me that it doesn't sell better is the Fiesta ST. Um, Good I, one. Can't, I can't believe that anybody who who is in the market for a very small hot hatch, and let's face it, they're great fun cars, isn't shortlisting this thing. Well, they sell a few hundred, three or four hundred or something. Yeah. Now, I know Ford's kind of given up on the Fiesta globally because everything's an SUV now, but they did have the brains to keep the ST model in production and and that's the only that's the only fiesta you can buy now in australia and it has yeah. been a time so so that tells you all you need to know about the fiesta category but the performance of this thing just elevates it way beyond that that shopping car thing uh and yeah i mean i love those cars it's I almost think- it's almost the fiesta index the fiesta st index is where reality kind of stops and fantasy starts in that the Fiesta is a car you can enjoy driving every day, no matter what the circumstance, and you don't have to go off and spot, find your special road to, to have fun. It's just a great mm. car to drive whenever you're in it. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, if you look just even beyond the performance, just to, to open the door and sit in the thing, uh, and I'll be, I'll be up front here. I prefer the previous model with the four-cylinder engine and the three-door body. Same. But you can't argue with, with what, the, what the current one does. But yeah, just to get in it, get into those Recaro seats, just to, you know, sit in it, grab the wheel, and and just pop the clutch out for the first time in first gear as you roll off, and you just go, "This is special." And, yeah, and, and, it's, and it's so and, much more than the sum of its parts. That car, and every roundabout's a pleasure. You know, you don't have to go chasing corners and leave no. the city, etc. It's just. But yeah. Mel, you are prone to doing roundabouts the wrong way just for a bit of added excitement. I know, I, and I've seen you do that in a Fiesta ST. Only in the Northern Hemisphere, James. Okay, <laughs> but but it's, it's like a, a toilet flushed thing. It's a, all of a sudden it's a little it's a little trio there, isn't it? Because you've got the Fiesta ST, the Hyundai i20n, mm-hmm. and Apollo GTI. There's there are some really nifty little models in there, but I think out of the three of them, the ST with its almost heritage. Now you talked about the prior model, Dave. It's uh, it's well, yeah, it's so I mean, good. Forget forget uh, the prior model if you want to talk blue collar performance small cars then ford's got it kicked to bits i mean we can go right back to you know, cortina lotuses we can go escort mark one escort mexico's rs2000 escorts there is a, 
a family history going back decades of yes. Ford making these great hotshot little affordable blue collar heroes, and and the ST is just the latest version of that. And full disclosure, you're not trying to talk up the price of your RS two thousand. No, no, no point because it's not for sale. There's no need. Okay, that's right. No <laughs> Although I just got a new engine, so uh, yeah, it, it owes me. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Well, that's a that's a great one to start off with. Can can I then chime in with my first contender? And I am going to say that is the Citroen C4. Now, Citroen yeah. as, as a brand is, is kind of um, low-key to the point of near invisibility. Um, it's not exactly blaring its message out there. Um, but the C4, it's thirty-eight, just under $38,000. It's got that 1.2-litre turbo triple, which is producing 114 kilowatts and 240 newton metres in a, in a relatively small uh, vehicle. Eight-speed auto with paddle shift. It's front-wheel drive, 0 to 100, 8.5. It's a five-seater SUV. And Citroen offers the five-year unlimited warranty like everybody else. It rides superbly. It's got these fancy shocks that in typical French fashion have been developed in-house by Citroen. They manage heat and fluid flow in a particular way. It steers nicely. It's bloody well-equipped for that money, like everything from leather to dual-zone climate and alloys and head-up displays and LED lights and all that stuff. It's chock full of safety, um, but it's maybe you'd expect slightly better economy. It's 6.1 litres, which is still, you know, pretty good. Um, the screens are a little bit off the, the kind of current techie feel. It might just be the layout or even the typography on the screens. There's just something that is a little different. It looks different, and that's a Citroen brand Signifier, and I suppose for the same or similar money, you can have a pretty high-quality CX-5 or a RAV4. But driving that car, I just said to myself, this is a really good, a really good machine. Um, and they, they sell in, you know, count them on the on the fingers of one hand kind of numbers. It's uh, no, no one wants to go there because I, I think the resale and, and various other things are, are against it. Mm. Oh, I agree, James. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. Look, I, I don't think the problem is the car in that instance. It's it's the perception of that car. And unfortunately, in Australia, the Citroen brand has been is and has been on the bugle for some time now. And I yeah. don't know what they do about that. Um, you know, you you could argue that this car is the it could have been the, the breakout model because it is it is uh, interesting technically. It is very efficient. It, it, it is all those things. But I think what people are finding is that um, it's once bitten, twice shy. You're only going to end up upside down in your lease once in your life. Right. You're never going to make that mistake again. And Great I think, point. I think that comes into it. But there are other examples where, you know, that doesn't count. You know, sometimes a car that that is from a brand that we don't recognise as being, you know, top-notch will sell will sell its uh, its wheels off and yes I, I guess it's it's the old um it's the elizabeth taylor factor you know like from from all accounts she was a pretty difficult person to live with <laughs> and yeah. yet there were still blokes lining up to marry her, marry her. <laughs> so i don't know That's true and, and the citron's the opposite of that i think yeah richard richard burton was probably a citron driver he was a recidivist, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, that's right. What was it Shakespeare said? He who will not learn from his mistakes is doomed to repeat them. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. But it's, it's well, also like Karl Marx. I don't know. Much as much as we'd like to think that we have a certain amount of influence out there, um, you can't help but recognise the mighty marketing dollar and the power that it has. You know, mm. how often do you see a Citroen marketing message? Oh, I don't. 
you know, they're, they're, it's very, very low profile in terms of the way that brand and those products uh, are presented and, and, you know, threatened with, with potential sale. You don't, uh, you just don't see it. No. I, I guess Peugeot is sort of the other example of that. And, oh. and, and in a way, Peugeot came from a different place because while Citroën was always this, this innovator, this, this technically interesting company, Peugeot was all about solid cars that could win the Red X. A little more mainstream. You know, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, Ken, the, Ken Tubman. Ken Tubman. Ken Tubman from my hometown, a Cessnock boy. Um, yeah. Chemist. In, was it Cessnock? I thought it was I think, Maitland. Might have been. Is it Maitland or Cessnock? It's one or the other. Um, yeah. Anyway, he probably sold. To fund his 203 campaign. Yeah, Citroen played a role in the Red X's, though, didn't it? Yeah, they, they did. They one. did. And, and, and well, actually, uh, the London to Sydney Tubman mm. won in a, in a DS, I believe. And also, the first car, I believe, to drive around Australia was a Citroen. Wow. 20 Citroen. It's, well, it's in the uh, museum in Canberra. Well, Mel, it's a, it's a wonderful segue, I think, because we'll, we'll move on uh, to yourself and well, come up with your first contender. Well, it's not much of a segue, James, because my first contender is exactly what you guys have just said. Exactly. Uh, in that I was going to... Oh, okay. We <laughs> prepared this earlier. The, um, <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to suggest uh, the entire Peugeot and Citroen lineups. Okay. Um, these days, they share a lot under the skin. Mm. Um, but, you know, Citroen in particular, uh, I think last year they sold 175 cars in total. Yeah. Uh, Peugeot was a little better at uh, 2,800, but yeah, 3,000. Yeah. You know, an emerging brand like uh, great uh, GWM Havel, they sold 18,000 cars. Mm. So Peugeot's got a long way to go. Mm. Uh, Citroen, yeah, but uh, across the Citroen and Peugeot lineups, they don't really make a bad car. You know, they they look great inside and out. They tend to tick all the safety boxes. They they can be a little bit a little expensive and. You know, hard to find a dealership, so you probably have to travel to get one serviced. But uh, there's many inferior cars that sell much better. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but whenever I've been to the Peugeot plant, you know, in, in, in Sosho there, and uh, one of the engineers will be tasked with um, introducing you to a new model. And it's, it's not pull the wraps off. It's like, we'll put it up on the hoist here and have a look at what we did under this kind of... It, they're very much engineers and about comfort and about mm. um you know developing things in-house and a pride in what they do it's a different kind of culture um at, at Peugeot and Citroen I must say it's fascinating what Citroen's doing with seats I reckon um like that C4 I think half of its at least half of its ride quality advantage is through the, yeah. the seat cushioning yeah uh, and they're you know they're leather seats but you can feel and that's part of Peugeot's background isn't it to th- yep. nominate two great things about a Peugeot yeah. Suspension seats, yeah, um, yeah, and so. they were phased. They sort of worked together, so and that you know that suggests a, a fairly holistic engineering approach when they can yeah. pull that off. Yeah, and I would argue that's what it's one of the things that makes something like a Golf Mark Seven so great that it's you know integrated from the rubber to your buttocks, uh, and you know just another Friday. They went, yeah, they went. <laughs> they weren't the first to do it, evidently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, right. That's a. That's a good one. They are they are small profile, low profile in the market, but uh, we think they deserve uh, to be a higher profile. So, all right, we've gone around once, Dave. We're going to go okay. back to you for a second bite of the cherry, please. I'm going to throw a bit of a left fielder in here. <laughs> Great, um, and I'm going to say the Jeep Gladiator. Wow, good one, good now, one. I'm not, I'm not necessarily, 
you know, pumping up Jeep's tyres here, but I would have thought that in a world or in a country where the six of the best 20 selling vehicles are dual cab pickups, uh, the two best ones last year both sold 50,000 plus units, that something like the Gladiator, which to me when it came out represented peak tradie, yeah, right. I, can't, I can't believe it's selling 70 a month. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. really struggling. I don't know what went wrong. Obviously, there's the image problem that Jeep's suffering at the moment. Now, they've gone from a company that was selling 34,000 a year, I think, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, slumped to 4,000. I think they're on track to sell seven or 8,000 this year. So they'll tell you they're coming back. But gee, it's nothing like the good old days. That the vehicle is, um, is not available with a diesel. That's a problem. Although mm-hmm. I think it's less of a problem than it was four or five years ago, particularly with the way prices of fuel are going at the minute. Yeah. And it can't tow to uh, the three and a half tons that a Hilux can or, or, a, or a Ranger. Or a Ranger. Yeah. It's, I think it's 2,710 kilos or something, which, you know, it, let's face it, for a lot of people, that's still going to be enough. And yet the thing's languishing. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And if you think about a name like Raptor and then there's Gladiator, and even if it's if it's you know appealing to people who are a bit lifestyley about their their choice of dual cab ute, I thought for sure there'd be a a, a line of people ready to to pick up that car. Yeah, I, I was convinced they wouldn't be able to box them up fast enough, and that, and that just hasn't been the hasn't been the experience. And yeah. I'm still a li- at a little bit of a loss because you know as you know, there's some some pickups, some dual cab utes are bought by fleets, and they or they're bought by the user chooser who is constantly carrying forty bags of cement. And, a, and an excavator on the trailer. But mm. equally, there's a whole raft of people who are buying these things who are using them as family cars or as lifestyle accessories. And, and they're the people I would have thought would have flocked to the Gladiator. I wonder if, I wonder if there's a tradie equivalent of the bloke who's always got the surfboard strap, strapped to the roof racks. You know, there's a tradie that's always got a few bags of cement in the back just to kind of prove that their, <laughs> their, their credibility around the work site. Well, it ought to make a ride properly. I reckon yeah, the, that too. Uh, that too. The safety rating account against the, um, yeah. the family guy. Isn't yeah. It, uh, isn't the Gladiator still on three? From memory? yeah, I think it is. You got me there, Mel. I'm not sure. Yeah, from memory, and you know, it's because it's still got that silly folding uh, windscreen, which yep. you know, who wants to use? Have you ever seen doors? anyone with that folded down? No, oh, and the, and the blowies between the teeth, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's easier than it used to be, but you still need the Allen key and you know a few yeah. mates and. Yeah. Um, you know, the doors are removable, but you can't remove them in Australia because, you, you know, you yeah. need to have your mirrors still attached to your car for the right reasons. <laughs> yes. uh, so if yeah. you didn't have that, it, you know, it would be far better off in, a, in an accident, I think. Yeah. 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 All right. That's an absolute beauty. I'm. Thank you, Dave. I'm going to come in with my uh, second contender, and that is the Jaguar F-Type. Ooh. Okay. So it's still available. It's been around for a decade or so. Um, you can now buy a convertible coupe R Dynamic, um, both of them with the supercharged five liter V8. And you can also buy the coupe R, which is an even more powerful version of that car. So they sold 44 F types in 2021. And in February, just one was sold. There's, and I should add, there's still a four cylinder version you can buy in the UK and some other markets, but that's, that's not available here anymore. Um, you know, the supercharged five, five liter V8, eight speed auto. The R Dynamic is rear wheel drive. It's 331 kilowatts, 580 newton meters, sub five second, 0 to 100 time. 
Then the R, which I had the pleasure of driving not all that long ago and testing for, for Cars Guide, and that, that test on the site, um, it's 423 kilowatts, 700 newton meters, 0 to 100 sub four seconds. It's an absolute powerhouse. And when you think about an Aston Martin DB11 V8 is twice the price. A Ferrari Roma slash Portofino, twice the price. Porsche 911 Carrera S, 100k more. It's like the E-Type all over again. And, and, and Dave... Here we go. You as an as an E-type uh, owner, uh, past or still present? I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, still, um, still working around. The original E-type had that same proposition, you know. And Aston Martin was twice yeah. the price, it and exactly half the price of a Ferrari. And yeah. that that R is a it's a beast. It's an absolutely uh, brilliant machine. I love driving it. And even and, though uh, people are looking is, straight past it, you know. Yeah, even though the design is now you know ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had a, a pretty decent facelift on, I think, 26. Which worked beautifully, in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's improving with age to look at. Mm. It's, it's mm. amazing. You look at that coupe. Oh, yeah. God. And if you, wanna, if, you wanna, if you want to dial the exhaust up, they can hear you from half a suburb away. It's got all that kind of stuff uh, going mm. for it. I think it looks beautiful. And, yeah, anyway, there Here's it is. the problem I have with that car. Aside from the fact that I think it is Styling-wise, and, and maybe this is why it's aged well, because it is quite derivative, I think, of the E-Type. I think it, it, it apes certain aspects of it when it could probably mm. be a little bit more subtle. But um, when when that car first came out, it was it was one of the very few cars where my recommendation would have been to buy the V6, not the V8. I thought the V8 was just a bit heavy-handed yes. and a bit, a bit unsubtle, whereas yes. the V6 had that beautiful exhaust crackle, uh, was a manual gib. I mean, it was just yeah. a... I remember, des- des- I remember describing the V8, that exhaust it had was like just lighting sticks of TNT and chucking them over the boot, you know, because it, it just yeah. exploded out the, out the tailpipe. It was yep. so loud. But beyond the sound and the, the outputs, there's not much technology in that engine. They've been getting away with it for, you know, is it two decades now? Yeah, and it's still a cracker though. Yeah. But, Dave, it's interesting you mentioned the, the kind of homage that, uh, that the F-Type pays to E-Type. I remember sidling up next to David, uh, to uh, Callum, when he was um, at a motor show somewhere, and I talked to him about F-Type and the, the coupe version. I said, oh, you didn't get the side-opening rear door up, you know, because the, the concept version of that car yeah. had it, and he just looked at me like with a real hound dog expression, like, no, no, I didn't, didn't, didn't do it. Because <laughs> it, it would have been, been lovely, but um, it, it didn't get there. But anyway, I just think it's one of those ones that has a lot to offer. And um, people aren't necessarily uh, going in that direction. So that brings us now to your good self again. Cl- finish us off with uh, another offering. Okay, cool. Uh, I can't believe you guys haven't suggested this, but I'm going to go with the MX-5, <laughs> right, which uh, sold just 744 last year. It has been on the market for, I think it's entering its seventh year on the market. Yep. But it's still fresh in many, many ways. Um, you know, like every MX-5, it's not the fastest, but uh, it's only really the, the likes of the 86 BRZ that can offer the most genuine driving thrills for under $40,000. And, you know, yes, there's Fiesta STs, but, um, you know, there's a rear-wheel drive. Yeah. Uh, you know, Atmo, you get the thrill of the revs, you know. A little click-clack gear change. Really it's hard fantastic. to get the best out yep. of it. Yeah. Um, and look, it spans to just over $50,000, which is still less than half the price of the cheapest Boxster. Uh, and I would argue that it's more fun every day. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, Mel, but the 1.5 litre engine has just been 
given the chop. So yeah. it's a, a two-litre only proposition. Because I'm not trying to be perverse, but I really liked the 1.5. It was a little bit, bit lighter and, and more nimble and all those yeah, things. Yeah, but would you have bought it? I would. I might have, yeah. Yeah, I'd have bought the two-litre. And tra- transparency here, Mel, you're an NA MX5 owner. Yeah, I own the 1.6 and I've never been happier with it. So I'd, I'd happily have the 1.5. But, you know, how many MX5s can one person have? Um, <laughs> one, one. My answer anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, the 1.5 have dropped down to, I think, single digit percentage of overall MX5 sales. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. people are voting with their feet. And, you know, it's still available. I think it's in um, six different variants split across the, the Roadster and RF body styles. But um, from what I understand, the Roadster is down to just 36, 36% of MX-5 sales. And oh. it's so much cheaper than the RF. And yeah. I think I think the soft top's underrated in that, you know, people look at soft tops and think, oh, I can't leave it out in the rain or it'll leak or, you know, can't leave it outside. But all of the... Yeah, it's a Mazda, and all of the, the area above your head is actually mm. cloth-wrapped um, aluminium. Mm. So there's there's not much between the two. Um, is there a security you know, aspect, Mal? Because I remember having an NA Mazda when I was street parking uh, at one point, and I went out to get in the car, and, oh, there's a little slit in the roof. How did that happen? Oh, the steering wheel's missing. And someone had nicked uh, the, the, the Momo steering wheel. Okay, um, possibly. So, you know, it is a nice feeling to be able to shut a hard top, I suppose. Yeah. Mm, okay, sure so people are willing right. to smash glass. Let's let's, let's back yeah. up here a little bit. On the mm-hmm. basis that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the car and there's everything right with it, what's going on? Is it yeah, just that, is it just that everyone who ever wanted one's now got one? I don't know. Possibly. Maybe it's that kind of car because there was Possibly. there was huge interest in it when it was brand spankers, mm. and everyone raced out and bought them, which I yep. get. Um, so Does that say it's time for a new one? I think the two seat thing would hold back a lot of people. As well, these days, you know, think about how everyone wants an SUV and the, the versatility of an SUV. Mm. Um, but you know, but it's the anti- it's also it's the anti SUV, isn't it? Definitely, totally. Oh, that's totally. It's also people only understand how special they are once they drive them. I find, uh, and you know, I've converted so many doubters just by putting them behind the wheel. Um, and look, you know, you need to consider how often you actually use those back seats. Mm. Uh, I think I think your point's a good one, Dave. I reckon that 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 demand may have been it's a saturated market now. Maybe mm. um, there's, a, there's a, as well. a lot of fresh news in terms of BRZ and eighty six, exactly. and if if someone wants the rear wheel drive and the manual box and all that stuff, there's some fresh offerings there. But you're right now, the the soft top version of the EMX five, it's it's hard to beat on value, and it, it's a different mm. proposition to those the BRZ and, and eighty six as well. I think the other thing that might be happening too is that people are buying them and uh, they're buying them as weekend toys. They're not getting a lot of kilometres put on them. So there's no um, no imperative to turn it over. There's not been a new one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I yeah. don't know if the next one's due, but you, you, there's not there's not the constant need to update. They, they probably are bought outright more so than a lot of cars and, and least, yeah. less often. So yeah. It's, there's not, yeah, as I say, there's not the imperative to keep changing it over. And, and maybe that's counting against it to, to a certain extent. Also, if you look at what the prices of, of the NA have done recently, they've just gone through the roof. And a good mm. one of those is 20K now. So people are probably thinking, well, some people will be thinking, well, I'll hang on to this because yeah. it's as cheap now as it's ever going to be. I might get a bit more for it in a few years. So yeah. maybe mm. that's, you know, and if you're not buying a new one, if you're not getting rid of the old one, you're, you're not buying a new one. And that, that weekend buyer will find that they, they sit 
a lot better, you know, without, ex, you know, for extended periods than something like an NG or you know, yep. even the BMWs yep. and yeah. things like that. Uh, I know my, mine certainly does. Mm. Uh, and if, you know, you're not burnt by mechanical issues, you're likely to hang on to it. I wonder if there are many sheds out there with an NABC, uh, you know, a set of MX-5s where people have done the, the collection thing. That'd be interesting. Maybe. Master Australia's got one. Of each? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay, so there is, for what it's worth, our roundup of cars that we think should be doing better, that are worthy, but uh, for whatever reason are unloved. And it'd be uh, great to get your thoughts, you know, in the comments and comments at carsguide.com.au as well. But uh, maybe that's a thought starter. But for now, we're going to move to our garage and we're going to go for um, each of us, the cars that we've been driving lately. Dave, kick us off, please. Okay, I've been driving a Nissan Leaf, the E-plus version, which is the 60 grand job with the big battery. So it's got, uh, I think it's 50 kilowatts more horsepower or kilowatts uh, and a lot more range. Um, yep. Although, yep. as it turns out, a lot more is still not enough. <laughs> so I had, okay. I had okay. One, of those, one of those terrible phone calls uh, early in the morning. There's been, a, there's been a crisis. I have to be interstate later this week. That was what was in the driveway. Uh, I could have I could have dusted off, you know, the the use uh, or something. But I thought I'm going to give this a crack. I'm going to see what happens when you try and drive an EV interstate. Well, it wasn't all skittles, right? Uh, it was a right. fair bit of beer because it was awake. But um, oh, I see. Um, look, that to me, and and I, I'm I like EVs. I really do. I like the way they drive. I can forgive them for sounding like Dyson's so long as they do what they're supposed to do. And the, and the Leaf does. I mean, I as a car, I really like the Leaf. It's easy to get in and out of. The ride's pretty good. You get good vision. It's got plenty of safety. I've got no no truck with the car itself. It's just the rest of the world that it operates in. The, the infrastructure is just not there yet. For a guy like me, uh, I don't really like to sit at truck stops for an hour at a time. Yeah. Uh, the thing gurgles yeah. a few electrons down its gullet. You know? Whereas I do. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay, right. That's yeah. <laughs> I did talk I mean, just these people. I will say that. <laughs> I, I got some new friends now. There's plenty um, of shopping to do. If God. you like if you like juice packs and crisps, yes. And, and, and massive mud flaps. He likes it. <laughs> he loves a servo pie, and Mel has a whole uh wardrobe full of singlet stubbies and uh work boots just to get into the frame of mind before <laughs> it's interesting talking the to method one of the truckies. It was interesting talking to a trucker who came over for a bit of a bit of a look, you know. Oh, good, yeah. And, uh, and you know, he's because he's he's long distance truck driver. He'd run out of hours, so he was stuck. He was stuck there for the night anyway. Uh, he wasn't going anywhere, so he was happy to have a chat. And um, but he, and as he pointed out, his future, as his working future, is in hydrogen because you know heavy vehicles. That's that's what will power heavy long distance vehicles. And I I can see why because. Um, yeah. The, other, the other problem was this car had um, a propensity to not let go of the charging nozzle a couple of times. Oh, wow. And, 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 and I thought, okay, this is something I'm doing wrong. So I went and rechecked it and it still wouldn't let go. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Drive away with the nozzle <laughs> trailing behind me? I, you know, that's not going to work. Um, eventually it did, you know, wow. on the third attempt. It said, yeah, all right, you can have it. Um, it's a bad a, feeling, isn't it? I've had, yeah. I've had that too. It's nasty. Yeah. It's, it's not mechanical either. You're waiting on an electric a solenoid, aren't you? That's right. And I actually looked this up, and, and the advice from, um, I think it's one of the charge companies, is to whack the nozzle with your phone, and that should release it. 
Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. The other problem it's different to the old refueling with a phone. Yeah, if that exactly. fails, get the coat hanger, the pantyhose, yeah. and the gaffer tape. And exactly right. Fix and it that build way. a tent because you're stuck there. Um, <laughs> the other things that happened were, you know, um, little niggly things, but you, I pulled into a fast charger and plugged in and everything was right and the green light's flashing and all's good with the world. And then it stopped after 0.17 kilowatts and I disconnected it. I reconnected it. Same thing. I moved to the next fast charger. Oh, same thing. I'm thinking, this, this particular piece of infrastructure doesn't like this car. So I moved to a slower charger and away it went. And a Tesla pulled in beside me and went to the fast charger. And I said, look, you know, I'll just let you know, I think that it, this, there may be something faulty with this. And no, it loved it. Was fine. it couldn't wow. the, you couldn't pump those electrons in fast enough. How similar is that to the old, the clicky Bowser? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But at least <laughs> with the clicky Bowser, you could turn the nozzle 90 degrees and go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can't, you yeah. can't do any of that. Um, I'm sure you gave it a go. I, I did. I was trying to um, keep an eye on, on the charge at one point. So I've got, I've got the app on my phone. Now, I'm not a, I'm not an app guy. Okay, I'm, I'm points and a carburetor, um, yeah. and then I got this message telling me that it can't tell me how the charge is going because I've not got enough internet. Now, I'm sitting, I'm <laughs> sitting at a, at a garden's table, uh, bench and, and table, in the shadow of the phone tower on the hill that I can see. And it's telling me that I've got insufficient internet to, to run the app. Now, wow. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That's there. the 2022 MLAs, isn't it? That's, that's the modern Bezos yeah. conspiracy. You know, I, I don't know what's going on. <sighs> well, Dave, thank you for that interesting story. Loved it. Um, we're, we'll move on. Mal, uh, what have you been steering? You've been steering it for some time. Tell us about yes, it, please. The Hyundai Staria. So the, the passenger version, uh, I've been driving the Petrol V6 for the last two months. Uh, and I've actually just switched into the diesel four-cylinder, uh, top of the range. So I'm covering the absolute base model and the top of the range model mm-hmm. uh, as a combined long-term test with my three child seats on the second row. Uh, so <laughs> it's not really loading it up because it's a big vehicle. <laughs> sure. Uh, but before I get into that, can I just say, I think it's a commendably bold design. Mm. Um you know, I know we all gathered around the monitors when we first saw the images, but I'm finding with the general public, it's quite polarizing. I just, uh, I immediately thought Robocop. I just thought it was yeah. that, it was Robocop's helmet. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think yeah. It's- yeah. Good on you. Me too. Um, but plenty of people go, oh, spaceship. Um, but I'm so glad that Hyundai's really doing its own thing again in a big way. You know, that and the Ionic 5, I think are real design statements. And this is a van. You know, and it's a basically a commercial vehicle as well. Um, but because it's based on commercial vehicle, it is huge. It is two metres high uh, and therefore way higher than a Carnival or a Palisade. Um, but if you've got six kids who, you know, aspire to play in the NBA, it's perfect. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. All no right. shortage of headroom. Uh, you sit much higher than you might like. Uh, it's not as clever as a Carnival in that the third row doesn't, fold into the floor, it slides forward, so you don't get to make use of the full uh, length of the boot area. Um, and the petrol, interestingly, uh, you'd think the petrol, I think it's about 221 kilowatts, it's a powerful beast and it's a big car. Uh, the official combined figure, I think, is 10.5. Wow. Uh, I've managed 12.63, which is not bad, uh, considering, you know, 
but beyond the three child seats, I often put a lot more in the boot. Mm. Um, the but the most impressive thing is it's actually better than the the Santa Fe I drove just prior to that, which did twelve point nine liters per hundred kilometers on test. So twelve point six three versus twelve point nine, um, and to me that's a big endorsement for aerodynamics. Uh, the Santa Fe is much smaller. Anyway, mm-hmm. very interesting. So there'll be lots more on the site uh, with the okay. Okay, interrogation time, because I haven't yes. driven one of these. But ah. going back far enough, when parcel vans first started to become converted to passenger vans, they were absolute Barry Crockers. You could see where they cut the cargo barrier out. Uh, you could um, – some of them still had dual rear wheels, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they were terrible. They had zero dynamic ability. They were they – were You're thinking Ford were, Spectron. I'm, I'm thinking all those things, you know. The Mazda E and, something, yeah. And, the, and the, it was really the oh, first – it was really the Tarago that – that started to change things a little bit by actually being a dedicated people meal, or if you don't count the combi, of course. But that in it in itself was a parcel van converted. What I want to know is, does this converted parcel van take, does it move the game along? Does it um, does it perhaps make the specifically passenger designed vans, the people movers, a little bit irrelevant? Or is it is it somewhere in between? Where does it fall? I think it's somewhere in between. I think it in in line with a lot of other commercial uh, vans, you're now sitting behind the front axle, which is great for safety, but also the, the drive experience. You're not bobbing along like you yep. used to do. Um, you know, the turning circle bigger is bigger because you've got a longer wheelbase. Uh, but I think the Starry has really helped by being based on the same platform as the Santa Fe, the Palisade, the Carnival, etc. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for the Carnival, I think we celebrated as a, as a pretty good people mover. Uh, but the carnival has an advantage uh, of the lower roof. You know, it's it's uh, you know the the the, the rear floor section is more clever um, and things like that. And it's you know doesn't cost any more. Yeah. Uh, so Staria, big step for commercial based passenger vehicles. Cool. Um, and you know, in line with the um, the the high ace based one, I think it's called uh, Valenta. Yeah. Um... Yeah, what is it called? No, so, no, Valento's the Mercedes. Granvia. Granvia, that's the one. I have. Uh, I don't think it's, it's as good as the Staria, but it's much better than a you know, Toyota commuter of old. Right, sure. But you, don't, sure. You, you don't have any qualms about putting your kids in it? It's no, there's no safety issues? No, no, no. And it, it's. I actually checked very carefully how well it scored for um, the side collision test because the belt line is really low mm. and it's pretty good. The windows are huge. So in the base model without the window tinting, you feel like you know you're a bit of a you know you're in a fishbowl. Uh, but it's it's brilliant for visibility. But in the peak of summer, yeah, uh, it is difficult to to cool the occupants. Okay, all right, Mel. Look, we we better move on. Thank you, thank you uh, for that. In the interest Pleasure. of time, we will keep going. And I this week have been driving Ford Mustang Mark One, uh, and. It's, it's 83 and a bit grand. It's got that five-litre Atmo V8. The one I had, six-speed manual, it's the Tremec six-speed in the Mach 1. Rear-wheel drive, 345 kilowatts, was about 460 horsepower, 556 newton metres. The engine, the exhaust, um, that six-speed, the cue ball gear knob makes a reappearance after that last bullet uh, tribute Mustang. The clutch, the steering, it's got um, adaptive dampers, the digital instrument display that's been put in the thing. I I loved it. 
I loved it. Um, I really enjoyed uh, driving it. I did not want to give it back. I know that's a cliche, but I seriously was thinking, how can I engineer this financially to actually get one of these? Um, it did 14.5 litres per 100, which for a, a car of that type isn't outrageous, but it's not great either. So you've got to take that into account when you're signing on for one of these. And obviously the bean counters drew a line at changing. I, I love the fact that there's a manual handbrake, but it's over on the on the other side, suited for left-hand drive. They said, nah, we're not going to redo the cancel, uh, console and all that superstructure underneath to, to do that. Um, and the, the Twister Orange that the car I was driving is a bit too rich for my blood. Mine would be fighter jet grey. Uh, so I've been on the configurator. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think it's like a polar bear on shrinking ice. Um, we're not going to see these cars for much longer, but I love it. I absolutely loved it. And I think it would be a really interesting buy to get one of the, Buy two, drain all the fluids and hermetically seal one and then keep the other one to drive. You're not going to lose money on either of them, but uh, just I really enjoyed the week. It was great. Is it worth the extra over the standard Mustang? That's the big question that everyone's well, asking. Look, emotionally, Dave, yes, because when I was a little tacker and I managed to see a Mark I, uh, I remember thinking, oh, what? What does that mean? And, and finding out what it meant, and it was always... Surely special- what it meant. Literally what it meant. Rather than what it meant for a Mustang. Correct. And I thought, that is amazing. I've always been drawn to that. I was like imprinted with, oh, that's a special car. So for me, it would be a no-brainer. For others, if they're looking at it on paper, maybe not. But, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty special. It's even, I'm even taken in by the little plaque on the dash that says has the chassis number, re, you know, um, displayed on there. I'm thinking, oh, this is something special. I just I got carried away with it, really enjoyed it. Okay, now that's what we've been driving. We're going to go to feedback. It's our comment of the week. It's on top of the shipping container at the front of the Cars Guide forecourt. It's got bunting around it, balloons. We're going to make a comment. And it was Robert Ciroli. I hope, Robert, I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Uh, we were talking about utes that are coming to Australia, new model utes that are coming to Australia in, in uh, 2022. And I think Robert's comment speaks for a lot of potential buyers. He says, I've no need for a dual cab 4x4 ute, but I seriously love and want a Ranger Raptor, even though I won't be lugging, towing, or going off-road. Just one as a daily driver, I'll look so cool and macho cruising around the burbs. Now, I don't know whether his tongue is firmly planted in cheek uh, or whether he's, he's genuinely of that view, but I think he sums up a lot of potential Raptor buyers there. Or has that twin turbo V6 just converted him? You know, it's oh, finally the, the the missing element that cars always needed. Too true. I know uh, Senior Bob will be uh, watching, and he's someone who's always wanting the engines to a hang around and be uh, be a little bit bigger. But um, we were just talking. Uh, I was talking with Matt Campbell the other day about all the owners of four cylinder Ranger Raptors who'll be thinking mm. maybe there'll be a bit of turnover in four cylinder uh, Ranger Raptors in the short term. Mm. Definitely. But how long before we then get, if we're now going back to a V6 petrol and there's people like Rob who are saying, well, I don't intend to tow anything or lug yep. it around. So you probably don't need the four-wheel drive, probably don't need the heavy chassis. You could go back to monocoque. Are we going to evolve our way back to proper sedan-based utes? Yeah, yeah. Please, please. Because <laughs> when mine wears out, I don't know what I'm going to do. Exactly. You're not alone. No. You're not alone. All right. That's good. Now, with that, we have reached the finish line. 
So I want to say thank you, Dave. My pleasure, mate. And thank you, Mel. Thank you to both of you. For your selections and discussions, that was great. And thanks to our production guru, good vibes manager and double glazing enthusiast, Mr. Pritchard, for his unending dedication to the podcast cause. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, I'm pretty sure my last words will be, well, shit, that didn't work. Uh, Metallic harem pants and Stormtrooper Wellington boots because it's been biblically wet in some parts of Australia. And shout out to people caught in a tough spot um, as a result. We're thinking of you. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Uh, Five's the preferred number of stars. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, look, thanks for the kind words on social media over the last few weeks. Uh, I'd mentioned my Uncle Bert, who works in an auto trimming shop, had fallen into one of the machines. But uh, the good news is he's fully recovered. In lambs wool. <laughs>